Last Sunday, I had the opportunity to introduce to us the theme for the month of January that I've entitled, Growing Intentionally, Step Forward into Christlikeness. And I stated that the common wisdom seemed to be that most of our growth comes about when we have some self-inflicted pain or circumstantial pain in our life that pushes us along to grow into Christ-likeness. And so I raised the question, what's wrong with us that it takes some catastrophe to wake us from our spiritual stupors to get us to move? Can't there equally be a proactive rather than simply a reactive approach to growth? And so I'm urging that we look at in this series, kind of a positive draw, the way we can be drawn into uh, the life of Christ. One of our members responded to my message last week and said that, uh, that she had been in consultation in years past with a marriage and family counselor that used a phrase that I think so summarized so well the, the choice that is before us. The counselor said that people grow either by moving away from pain or growing closer to the light. And it's this message and series that I want to talk about growing closer to the light. What does it mean to intentionally grow closer to the light? Last week, we said that in order to grow, you have to have a vision of growth. You have to be something you want to grow into that draws you along. And I attempted to lay out this beautiful picture that the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about in terms of this succulent and delicious fruit of the Spirit that God wants to grow in our lives. We read in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit, what the Spirit grows into a believer's life is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And wouldn't it be wonderful to see these kinds of qualities just emanating from our being? Is there any richer life than that? That's the vision that we can grow into. Today, I want to focus on the condition for growth. The title in your bulletin says conditions, but uh, I want to work on one condition, condition singular, not plural. And what's that condition? It's really one word today. I'm going to spend a lot of time speaking about one word. (laughs) It's the word listen. Listening is what it's all about. Though there are different ways to cultivate a listening heart, I think really what Jesus calls us back to is the ability to to hear. And that's what is unfolded in his parable of the sower and the seed in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses, and then we'll skip down to verse 14 and uh, read through verse 20. This morning, let's do as our custom is uh, to read this responsively. I'll take the odd number of verses, and you please pick up on the even number of verses. Mark 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach them by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Up, 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they, they hear it, Satan comes along and takes away the word that was sown in them. But since they had no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. There's a story told of a Native American who was being escorted around the center of Manhattan in New York City by a resident of New York City. The Native American stopped his friend and whispered, wait, I hear a cricket. His doubting friend said, come on, a cricket. With all the noise of the taxis, horns honking, brakes screeching, people screaming, you couldn't possibly hear a cricket. Well, the Native American led his friend to a nearby planter, dug through the mulch, and sure enough, there was the cricket. His friend said, how could you possibly hear a cricket in downtown New York? Native American replied, my ears are different than yours. It simply depends on what you're trained to listen to. Here, uh, let me show you. With that, he reached into his pocket, pulled out a handful of coins, and dropped them on the cement sidewalk. When the coins clanked, Everyone within a block stopped and listened. Well, the obvious question is, what have our ears been trained to hear? And I think the key to unlocking the understanding of this parable that we have just read is that Jesus is teaching us about the significance of listening, that the word of God needs to sink deeply into the roots of of our life. And he bookends this initial telling of the parable with the two words about listening. Verse 3. What's he say? Listen, a farmer. Then he goes on to tell the story. And at the end of the first telling, in verse 9, what does he say? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then when Jesus interprets the meaning of the parable to his disciples, there is one repeated word with each of the four types of soils that he talks about. Each one is introduced with a phrase that includes the word hear. Three of those types of soils are soils that are soils that disrupt in a sense the hearing of the word there's one type of soil though where is that what we might call the listening soil so we've got a mixed metaphor going on here this morning jesus is saying that our ears are really the soil of our souls so we must ask to what are our ears attuned first thing i want to do is take a look at three of the soils that uh, are disruptive of the hearing of the word. And the first one I would call the hurried heart or the hurried soil. The farmer sows the word, 
Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes along and takes away the word that was sown in them. In the agricultural setting of Palestine in that day, the land was kind of cut into serpentine, sake-like swatches. And between them were pathways in which people could walk. And as you walk between the, the plots of ground, that pathway was beaten down by feet and by animals, so it became very hardened. Sun would come up, dry out that pathway, and it became like asphalt. And so when a sower was out casting the seed, some of that would land on this very hardened soil and just bounce right off. And as Jesus says here, Satan would come and just take away the seed of the word. And I liken this hardened pathway to a hurried heart. Paths were beaten down because they were well-trod. Frenetic feet marked these routes. And the word of God, though, can only penetrate when we stop long enough and contemplate and hear and listen to allow it to sink in. Richard Foster, in his devotional classic, Celebration of Discipline, uh, introduces his book with placing a major issue on the life of our American society. He says, in contemporary society, our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us engaged in muchness and manyness, he will be satisfied. Do you ever wonder how people from other cultures look at our pace of life? We may think it's normal. Other people might look the way we live as quite odd. Did you know that the Swahili word for white man, mazunga, literally means one who spins around? East Africans see us as people in a flurry of motion, going nowhere. That's the way we are perceived. If hearing requires listening to the word, ask yourself, do I intentionally stop my feverish pace long enough in a day to actually hear what the scriptures are saying to us or what the spirit might be communicating? Do you have a hurried heart? The second disruption of the heart that Jesus talks about is what I would call the shallow heart. Verses 16 and 17, we read, Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. If you've ever been to Israel, you know that Israel is a land of rocks. In fact, there is a legend that says that the angel in charge of distributing the stone across the earth couldn't carry the weight and ended up dropping nine-tenths of it in Israel. Well, that makes a lot of sense when you're there. Um, In southern Israel, there's just a thin veneer of dirt over limestone beneath the surface. Now, in the early morning dew, there might be a germination of a flower that prop up and look like it's pretty healthy until the scorching sun of the day comes down upon it and then it withers and dies. Why is that? Because there's no place for that flower to take root. It hits the base of the limestone and can't go any further. And I think Jesus is most likely speaking of those who enter the freshness of God's saving and renewing grace. It's all alive and new and glowing with this newness 
at the beginning of the journey. And then you find out, you know, there's some hard work involved in this Christian life. Transformation means that we have to take a a look at ourselves. And people may enter into this Christian faith with wanting all the benefits, but none of the bans. I want to be a Christian without a cross. To sink our roots into the soil of God's word requires that we take a look at ourselves and to see what needs to be changed inside of us. You know what the biblical word is for change or growth? It's the word repentance. Repentance literally means to correct your thinking, to think a second thought, to change your way of looking at things. James Baldwin wrote, not everything can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. When we come in contact with this hard work, we may fall away, Jesus is saying, because there's not a deep enough root in our life. You see, the shallow one wants to look good without being good. And then the third way that our hearing is disrupted is what I would call the divided heart. Verses 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word. But worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. It was the practice of farmers in Jesus' day to cut the tops off of vibrous roots and those weeds, and then they would burn them to the ground, and it would look like the soil was clean. And then some of the seed that was sown would fall among that particular area. The spring rains would come, and then these weeds would come up and choke out the life of the seed that was growing. And I think that with this uh, third disruption of hearing, this divided heart, Jesus is really now starting to meddle with us. <laughs> is there anything that can plug our ears more than the distraction of worry or the pursuit of things? Fear or worry creates static on the lines of our connection with God. Don't we experience anxiety as static in the stomach? That sense of worry. I know for me, in terms of one of my major issues that I've journeyed with over the years in terms of my Christian life has been this whole area of anxiety. This kind of diffuse sense that the world is not a safe place to be. And I finally had to come to terms with this, that this was interrupting my ability to listen, to hear the very basic message that God wants to communicate to us. And that is that we are his beloved children, that we are precious to him, that I live in the the kind of the palm of his hand. And because of that, I went to some friends and said, I can't deal with this anxiety that I'm living with. I need your help. Would you pray with me to be released from it? And through some of those circumstances, I saw some significant improvement take place where I could embrace that basic message that uh, I'm the beloved child of God. That's our basic identity in him. But then Jesus speaks of the problem of Western affluence. The deceitfulness of wealth, he calls it. Wow. The desire for other things. A young man proposed to a woman who had stolen his heart. He said to her, darling, I want you to know that I love you more than anything else in all the world. I want you to marry me. Now, I'm not rich. I don't have a yacht or Rolls Royce like Johnny Brown does, but I love you with all my heart. 
young woman thought for a while before she replied. She said, I love you too. But tell me more about Johnny Brown. (laughs) This is the fault line for many of us, isn't it? What's that pull, that tug between the lure, the deceitfulness, Jesus says, of riches, all that the world has to offer and the life that there is in Jesus Christ? I think it was an old preacher from last century, Harry Emerson Fosdick, that said that as long as the glitter of the world promises more in our eyes than the Christian life, then Christianity doesn't have a chance. Where's that draw, that pull for you? Where's that battle waging in your own heart? And so before Jesus gets to that good bumper crop that can be produced in us, he talks about, I think, three kinds of soil that are really disruptive to our hearing of God's word. It's the hurried heart, the shallow heart, and the divided heart. But then he proposes what I would call the listening heart. The fruitful heart is the listening heart. Verse 20, others like seeds sown on the good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, and even 100 times what is sown. You see, the good soil is that soil where the the plow cuts deep into the ground. A deep furrow turns that soil over so that the seed can sink deeply in it. And then it produces the growth that is required. So what makes for good soil? What makes for a listening heart? I want to propose that in order for us to grow, there's a basic characteristic that's very important to us. And that is self-awareness. We have to become self-aware in order to grow. And self-awareness and listening are very integrally related to each other. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Romans 12, 3. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Get a realistic perspective on yourself. Take a look at yourself and see where it is that you need to grow. Don't have this highfalutin fantasy about who you are. Live in reality about who you are. John Calvin, one of the fathers of the Reformation, theological fathers of this congregation, wrote a classic tome entitled Institutes of the Christian Religion. And very interesting, his very first caption, very first line is the following. Without knowledge of self... There is no knowledge of God. Those two really work together. So how do we create the good soil? How do we create a listening spirit so that we grow intentionally in our lives? We were discussing on Monday night at my small group, my sermon from last week. And one of the members of the group made a very important observation that I think is so important that I want to include it in this Sunday's message. He said, I don't think we grow unless there is pressure, pressure in our life. Now, that could be negative pressure, things that we want to get out of our life, but it can be also positive pressure, putting positive pressure on us to continue to grow. So I want to propose four listening posts or pressure points that would be positive pressure that we can put on our life. First one is this, place your life up next to the truth of Scripture. Every day, read some portion of Scripture with this attitude. Lord, show me the truth about myself 
from your word. We know from 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the purpose of Scripture. All Scripture is inspired of God, literally God-breathed, and is what? Profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Note the second and third characteristics of Scripture. The Scripture reproves and corrects. What's reproof? Well, reproof is kind of a rebuke. You ever read Scripture and all of a sudden you felt like this little knife was in your heart? You got me. I see myself for what I am. Well, Scripture is oftentimes talked about as a mirror that we can hold up before ourselves. In fact, in the book of James, in the message translation, we read about the mirror of Scripture. James says, don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you are anything but letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea who they are and what they look like. When we read the scriptures, we're really holding a mirror up to ourselves and saying, show me who I am. The good news is, that we also see a reflection in that mirror of Jesus standing behind us who wants to reflect his life through us as well. So get a devotional book, adopt a reading plan, make room to listen to God's word in our life. The second listening post or pressure point I want to mention is develop the discipline of solitude and silence in order to listen deeply. The psalmist says, For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Henry Nouwen has written, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. Now, solitude, for many of us, may just be a scary thing. You get quiet, what happens? All this noise starts to come to the fore because we're so used to input uh, in our life. So, like the movie, maybe you've seen What About Bob? We may need baby steps. So let me propose a baby step to get there. I need baby steps. One of the practices that I have adopted to try to create this silence and solitude in my life is the, called the prayer of examine or the examination of consciousness. It, it's pretty simple. At the end of the day or the beginning of the next day, you simply look back. And you ask God the question, Lord, where did you show up yesterday? What relationships, emotions, conversations, events? Where did I see you at work? Have you ever ever had somebody ask you, well, how was your week? And what goes, what happens? Blank. It's a blur. Nothing completely, nothing stands out. Time has passed, but uh, we don't know what's happened in that time. One of the values of the, the prayer of examine is before you turn the page to the next day, you look back to the previous page and, and you look at what's happened in your day before or at the end of the day. And you ask yourself those questions. Lord, what do I hold on to here? Bring a conversation to mind. Let me write a note of thanksgiving for something that it took place uh, during that day. Remind me of some missed opportunity that I had. You'll see on the screen some questions that uh, Adele Calhoun includes in her book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, 
around the prayer of examine. She says, at the end of the day, ask yourself, what, what moment today am I most grateful? For what moment today am I least grateful? When did I give and receive love today? When did I fail to give and receive love? What was the most life-giving or life-thwarting part of my day? It slows you down. Before you turn the page onto the next day, savor the previous day. And you will be able to remember and see what God is doing in our life. The third listening post or pressure point I want to put before you is intertwine your life with trusted Christian friends who will help you live in truth. One of the books I highly recommend for extra credit during this sermon series uh, is Henry Cloud and John Townsend's book, How People Grow. And the chapter entitled simply God's Plan A, People, was for me even worth the whole of the book. This is a very autobiographical chapter written by Henry Cloud about when he first came to faith in Christ. And he said he came to faith in Christ at a time, frankly, of depression in his life. And he was a little upset with God because they had asked God to lift the depression and God hadn't. He thought he was just supposed to step in supernaturally and take care of that. Well, a friend of his recommended that he enter a relationship with a, a couple that he knew. This couple invested in Henry's life. Henry said of this couple, Bill taught me about God and Julie taught me about life. <laughs> but as he opened his life up to this couple, he found that uh, He was getting in touch with some grief and sadness in his life that he wasn't even aware that was there, that was contributing uh, to the depression over a a lost dream that he had had. This couple recommended that he get involved in a small group, and in that small group, he became more aware of how he was coming across to people and was growing. And then he realized all of a sudden that his depression had lifted, that he was feeling good about himself for the first time in his life. But they still held God accountable for not healing him directly. And then he said he realized that God's plan A was people. And he says this. I was waiting for God to give me his grace through supernatural zapping. He was giving it to me through his people. I was waiting for him to speak to me directly. He was speaking to me through his people. I was waiting for him to give me direction in life. He was the strength behind the direction people were giving me. I was waiting for him to heal my depression. He sent special people to comfort me. This church believes that we are to live out our faith in the company of a small group of others who can speak truth lovingly into our lives. It's not an option. Something we all need. And then there's a fourth listening post or pressure point. We will need to t- take faith risk by putting ourselves in uncomfortable places. As long as we remain in the very safe confines of the comfortable, minimal growth and self-awareness will occur in our life. And a friend of mine who used to define faith like this, maybe some of us can identify with this. He says, I see faith like a spare tire. It's nice to have it there if you need it, but I hope I never have to use it. Is that what biblical faith is? (laughs) Is it just simply a safety net? I'll handle my life quite well, thank you. But God, I'm sure glad you're there, and just in case, I need you. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith causes us to move out, causes us to take risks, to go where we haven't gone before. In the faith chapter of Hebrews 11, we read about Abraham. 
By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. We become self-aware when we go on that mission trip to across the world and have to use gifts in a foreign place or downtown Chicago. We grow when we risk sharing our faith in the context of the workplace or when we stand up for our values when those are not the prevailing values that are the wind of the day. If God seems distant and dull, it's probably because we have become distant and dull. We've remained in the cocoon of safety and yet God meets us in the stretch. So this morning, there's only one condition for growth. That's deep listening to the word and obeying it. Jesus tells us we can tune God out. We can have a hurried heart, frenetically moving along. We shallow heart that wants the benefits without the demands. A divided heart distracted by worry and the lure of the world. Or we can have a listening heart. That listening heart has listening posts and pressure points. We spend time looking into the mirror of God's word. We find quiet places to reflect on how God is at work daily. We root our lives in trusting community who will speak truth to us. We will step out to explore territory into which God is calling us. Is there something on that list that stands out to you that says, this is the step I can take to listen more deeply. Growth is incremental, isn't it? It's uneven, even when it's intentional. That's why I like the story of the middle evil peasant woman who happened upon a Benedictine monk. She fell down before the monk and blurted out, please tell me, Holy Father, what do you men of God do up on that monastery on the hill? And this particular monk was very wise and humble. So he answered simply, I'll tell you, my child, what we do. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. We fall down and we get up. Isn't that the way growth occurs in our life? It's appropriate on this weekend where we have announced the upcoming justice journey and We celebrate Martin Luther King's birthday tomorrow that I conclude with an old slave's prayer that Martin Luther King often used at the end of his talks. Let's pray together. Oh God, I ain't what I ought to be and I ain't what I'm going to be. But thanks be to you, I ain't what I used to be.